Amen. Our passage is Proverbs chapter 1. We'll look at the first seven verses with freedom to jump around the book of Proverbs as I choose. Uh, Wow, it's great to have people back. Uh, I'm not just going to look at the camera anymore. I'm going to try to look at actual humans. Uh, So this is great. Um, But if you are with us at home, I'll try occasionally to glance at you as well. Wow, so we are going to start a new series. Usually there's a break. We finished Elijah, Elisha. Usually a pastor has a little break, but we're jumping right in to the the series is titled, um, what did I say? The Lost Art of Wisdom. The Old Testament, as you know, is full of rules. It's full of rules and it's full of a history of those rules. And each king, as we move through the history, is defined by did they keep the covenant? Did they keep the God's law? Did they keep the rules? And right in the middle, you have these strange books called the wisdom literature. Uh, Job and Psalms and Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, the Song of Solomon. And in these books, you find that rules don't always work. Like you sometimes have to figure things out on your own based on the rules. That's why we're using the word art. It's the art of godly living. It's the art of applying these things we believe about scripture to da- daily life. And so we're gonna have, that, have this series. I'm really excited about it. There is a misconception that pastors choose series based on their expertise. I've been studying this for years. This is my favorite. No, I'm actually like, I need to learn this. So I wanna be the chief among us that says, I need to learn this truth. What does wisdom look like? How can I grow in wisdom? How can we grow in wisdom? So if you'll join me in this series, I think we have a lot to learn. Let's read together the first seven verses. These are often called the prologue to the book of Proverbs. You'll notice that uh, the, the, the um, book is attributed to Solomon, the son of David. I will not get into authorship a lot. We will simply say Solomon certainly had a tremendous influence, if not complete influence, over the book of Proverbs. So let's read together. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. <clears throat> to know wisdom and instruction to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Let's pray. Lord, we live in a time where there is information overwhelmingly at our fingertips. And yet, if we think about it and look around, we see just a huge lack of wisdom. And Lord, it has seeped into the church where we formulate our opinions and our ideas apart from your scripture, where we are rigid about rules, but we are not full of mercy and grace. And Lord, just so many ways that we need to grow and learn to be humble as we pursue you and wisdom. So I pray that this series, this morning's conversation, that your Holy Spirit would be present, that you would help us to begin to learn what it might look like to move down a path of wisdom. In your name we pray. Amen. This week, Brian and I were grabbing lunch, and I was lamenting how on my Facebook feed, 
a lot of people, and I have a lot of pastor friends, are telling me what to think. They're pointing their finger at me, and they're saying, do this if you're this way, do that, as if they're experts. And I was just telling him this. He said, you know, there's a name for that. It's called the Dunning-Kruger effect. Uh, these two, I think, psychologists saw this tendency and began to process why is it that people who are below average in ability put themselves as above average in what they tell other people? And they began to study this. One area, for example, is humor. They, they actually gathered people. Like in this room is a group of people. And I've got to tell you, half of you are below average <laughs> at everything. Now, I don't mean one individual is below average at everything, but at every topic that would come up, if we had a scientific way to measure your ability, 50% of you are going to be below average. Unfortunately, those are the ones that are going to talk the most about it. That's what we find with the Dunning-Kruger effect. We see this in Proverbs 18 too. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. And so to finish the thought, they, they had started studying humor and they found that the comedians, the people that were paid experts on humor, could take the jokes in a given segment and rank them. And then the people who thought they were the funniest would get the wrong jokes that were, like they would mess up on the, which jokes were funny. And we all know this as dad jokes, right? Dads are the ones who you should be the ones that are the funniest. We're not. We're just not the funniest but we keep proclaiming our humor, right, dads? Keep it up. So wisdom is not then just throwing out what you think is true and throwing it in people's faces over and over. In fact, wisdom has so much more to do with humility and with recognizing the vast amount of growth that we need to have. In fact, what Dunning-Kruger studies figured out was the experts are often the ones saying, I don't know enough yet. Whereas the rest of the world would say, you're the best at X. They would say, I know I'm good, but I, I think I need to grow more. So there's a humility and wisdom. So here's what we're going to do this morning and maybe the whole series is we're going to study this concept. The infinite God in his infinite wisdom decided this when he created you and he created me to give us wisdom. He imparted that reality on us Theologians call this communicable attributes. He's wise. He did not give us all of his attributes, but he did give us his wisdom. Now the fall ruined it, but in Christ, we can regain it. So our goal is as Christians, those who follow Christ, those who have been uh, justified by his grace, we now are free, have this opportunity to read Proverbs and learn and grow in humility. So let's do that as a series, and then at the end of that series, I'm going to take a test and see how wise you guys are. After this, we're going to take our first test, and then like in eight weeks, the second test. You all up for that? Okay, no, not, no, no tests. Three things. Definition of wisdom, the feel of wisdom, and finally the process of wisdom. So the definition of wisdom. In our, in our passage, of course, you see so many things repeated throughout all the Proverbs, but right there at the beginning in verse 2, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing. In other words, wisdom is something about knowledge and truth applied to your life. 
In Colossians 3, we see Paul say, let the word of Christ dwell in you. So it's connection to the word of God, right? Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. So wisdom is God's truths making it their way into our lives. Now, I want to spend more time on what it is, but quickly what it's not. Three things wisdom is not. Number one, wisdom is not knowledge or facts. I think our culture, we think of it as, if I know information, I'm wise. And hey, Siri, you know, we listen to Siri for three minutes and now we're an expert. It's not facts. In fact, the game Trivial Pursuit is right. Like to take trivia, that's information you don't really use, and learn it, as fun as that is, and I enjoy Jeopardy and things, it's not, not, it's not wisdom unless it's applied to life. So just learning information doesn't make us wise, okay? So it's not that. Secondly, it's not knowing the reason why. That's really important. So much of people's view of wisdom is being able to step in and say, here's why you're suffering. Here's why this happened to your family. Here's why this is happening to our world. God has not given us that knowledge. The book of Job is a perfect example of that. His friends show up and they're trying to show him why all these disastrous things happened to him. And God at the end says, that's not the point. The book of Ecclesiastes also shows us that you can't know all the reasons why things happen. That sometimes people die that are good people by beasts in a field. Other people that are rotten succeed and we don't know why. So we don't know why. It's not facts and knowledge. It's also not knowing the future. Like we can't, wisdom doesn't mean I now know what's going to happen next week, next month. Maybe it will help me think about that. We'll talk about the path in a minute, but it's not knowing the future. Remember the book of James where he says, do not say, I'm going to go to such and such a city next year and make such an amount of money. He says, don't do that. Rather say, if it's God's will, I will do those things. So wisdom is not facts and knowledge by themselves, knowing why everything's happening right now, what God means by it all, nor is it knowing how the future is going to play out perfectly. Those are not what it is. What is wisdom? Wisdom, then, is knowing how the world works and living accordingly. J.I. Packer, in his book, Knowing God, has a great chapter on wisdom And he says, it's not, and I've said this many times, being in a train signal station and knowing all of the directions of the trains in the future or why they're doing what they're doing in the present. I've already said what it's not. But then he says, however, it is like this, learning how to drive. When our uh, second born was going to learn how to drive, having already tried to train Grayson, our firstborn, we decided to throw Coleman into driver's ed. And what happens when you go to driver's ed, everyone knows this, I've talked about it, they show you video after video of cars getting crunched. In fact, sadly, the car they chose in all these videos was Grayson's car. (laughs) So I'm sitting there as a parent going, oh my gosh, it's a Ford Focus getting just crunched over and over. But it had an effect on me as a parent, and I think on Coleman, of going out into the world as you learn to drive, not saying... Why did that person run a red light? Why is there a semi-parked there? But rather, now that I see that data, how do I behave in response? So like learning to drive a car, you learn wisdom teaches us how to deal in real time 
the struggles, the difficulties of our life based on God's word and his principles. So another term is the art of skillful living. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 5. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. There's a quote from C.S. Lewis. Dan, if you'll throw that up. I just want to look at this quote and sort of give us a practical view of what wisdom can and cannot do in our life. He says, people often think of Christians, Christian morality as a kind of bargain in which God says, if you keep a lot of rules, I will reward you. And if you don't, I'll do the other thing. I do not think that is the best way of looking at it. I'd much rather say that every time you make a choice, you are turning that central part of you, the part of you that chooses, into something a little different from what it was before. And taking your life as a whole, with all your innumerable choices, all your life long, you are slowly turning this central thing either into a heavenly creature or into a hellish creature. Either into a creature that is in harmony with God and with other creatures and with itself, or else into one that is in a state of war and hatred with God and with its fellow creatures and with itself. To be in the one kind of creature is heaven. That is its joy and peace and knowledge and power. To be in the other means madness, horror, idiocy, rage, impotence, and eternal loneliness. Each of us at each moment is progressing to the one state or the other. Now, let me add some Reformed theology, careful tricking on that. If you are saved, you go to heaven. We're not, I don't, I don't know if that was what C.S. Lewis is saying, but what I would agree with him on is there is sin, it not only has the guilt aspect, but it has pollution. And one of the biggest misconceptions is, hey, I'm in Christ, I can do whatever I want, and that's not true. When we choose against God's law, problems come. And that's what wisdom teaches. Your, pro- your world will get far, far worse the more of those choices you make. So wisdom is learning in humility to see ahead of time. You know, verse eight says, hear my son. So it's young people, your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching. The idea is before you've gone down these paths, we've come and learned of God and we gain wisdom. So secondly, what does it feel like to to have wisdom? What does wisdom feel like? Uh, In chapter eight, um, you, have these, you have these descriptions. Take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than gold. For wisdom is better than jewels and all that you may desire cannot be compared with her. Over and over in Proverbs, in the whole Bible, wisdom is described what feels like to me to be hyperbole. Like, really? It's better than silver? It's better than gold? I mean, don't you all kind of do that? I don't, I mean, I know it's important. I think we think of it like a set of encyclopedias. When I was 12, my aunt was like, guess what I bought you? I'm like, what? A set of encyclopedias, they're coming in the mail. I was like, I'm not sure, what, what's an encyclopedia? Oh, it's a bunch of books by letter. Young people, you don't know this. They used to have these books called encyclopedias. There's not that many young people in the room. And you looked up like, I want to look up dogs. You go to letter D. It's more than just a description. Maybe there's four pages on dogs. That was a neat little present. I wanted ice cream. 
You know, like when a, ch- a young person, you're like, I want to give you ice cream. They come out of their skin over ice cream. So whatever wisdom is, is not an encyclopedia set. It's more like ice cream. It's like exciting. It brings glory. It brings beauty. So that's the first thing. It's valuable. Now, when you have something of valuable, of value, it's not only that you have it and it's valuable, but the second aspect is that you seek after it, right? We all know what it means to seek things out. From a very young age, you like something, you pursue it. You talk about it. You get photos of it. You, you, you dream about it. You can't wait. We, we've been talking about a trampoline. Monty wants a trampoline. Guess what they don't have right now for sale anywhere? Trampolines. Now, if you are selling a trampoline, this is a plug. We will buy your trampoline. But if you want a new one, good luck. They're not out there. So we want things, and what what this writing tells us is that wisdom that feels like it's going to do something for you, like it's going to be amazing to gain. So the posture of, of wisdom is that you want it. It's valuable. Secondly, this is more important. It's a process. It's, it's, it's not something you get all at once. In fact, you never fully have it. Look at verse 5 if your Bibles are open. If not, I'll read it to you. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. You would think that would say, let people hear and increase in learning and then become wise. But do you hear that word order? Wisdom is not after you get the information. It's the front end. Wisdom then, according to the Proverbs, is the disposition that says, I need to learn. I need this information. I am not an expert. Secondly, the second line, you have the A line and the B line. Often in Proverbs, you'll have parallelism, parallelisms, and the two lines often will either offset or they'll strengthen. And in our passage here at verse 5, the second one's similar to the first. Let the wise hear an increase in learning, line A. Line B, and the one who understands obtain guidance. That second line takes the concept of the first line and increases it. It's one thing to say, I'm wise, I want to increase in learning. That's really important. But it's even more important and more amazing to think that we would actually say, I already have understanding, I need guidance. Listen to it again. And the one who understands, present tense, you currently understand something, seek guidance. Remember, Dunning-Kruger would go like that concept and say, no, I'm the one that understands. I'll give you the guidance. Let me lead you. The Christian who's humble says, I understand. I need more guidance. Um, On Facebook, uh, everyone that's on Facebook knows right now is the worst time to be on Facebook or the best time, depending on what's coming through. I have a lot of pastors who are telling me how I should think, so it makes me think I should apologize on the front end. If I come around and constantly just point my finger at you and tell you how you should change, correct me. Let's change together. Let's become understanding together. But one thing that came through my feed is I'm part of a group from my seminary, Covenant Seminary, that almost never has an entry. I mean, very rarely does someone type in on the alumni Facebook page. Well, the other day someone typed in, I guess they weren't alumni, and they typed in, um, does covenant really assign, and then they entered the name of a book. I'm not going to tell you the name. 
<clears throat> it's a book by an African-American who is not apparently orthodox in this person's view. And his point was, I can't believe it. And quickly, a lot of people I do know that are pastors that came out of covenant respond with saying, like, don't you think we should learn outside of just the Westminster Confession of Faith in the Bible? Like maybe we should listen to what others are saying, right? Like if I want to have electrical work done at my home, I don't say, wait a minute, what's your view on predestination? I ask them, do you know how to do electrical work? Let's talk about it. And so there were these kind of responses, helpful, telling him. But then the professor who assigned the book writes in, here's my syllabus. And this professor teaches a class on race relations, co-teaching it with Mike Higgins, who's our dean of, their dean of students, who's African-American. And when you read the syllabus and all of the reasons and all of the books, I was overwhelmed and it left me feeling like this. I need you to guide me. Like, I need to go read that. In fact, I'm going to go find that course and see what ways we can learn if any of you are interested in the books, the movies, the, the writings. But I personally read that and thought, Lord, forgive me for forming any thought prior to even seeking guidance. We need to be guided in times like these. We need to seek wisdom and not just give our opinions. It feels like that, longing for guidance, longing for instruction, and wanting it. It's not gonna crush you. Wisdom's gonna free you. So what's the process? Last point. Our uh, seventh verse and final verse in our passage says this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, this is sort of considered a climax of this prologue. And it appears, or words like this appear 20 times in, the old, in, in Proverbs itself. So it's kind of the spine of the book of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Now, the word fear has a semantic range from to utter terror, like a, a, a horror movie type feel, all the way to simply having respect and awe. Uh, what it really means is, and this is how Tremper Longman III puts it, to stand subservient to Yahweh and to acknowledge dependence on him. That is what wisdom, what fearing the Lord means. Do we feel a dependence on our, on our maker? You see, in the fall, the very first thing that happens is Adam and Eve decide to go out and go alone independently. And we have inherited that flesh, inherited that sin structure. And so for us, when we're not walking in wisdom, we're, we're going it alone, independently. I'm going to find my own information. I'm going to do my own research. I'm going to become my own knowledge person. And wisdom says, no, you've got to start by being dependent on the one who made everything. Another of the commentators said, what the uh, because it's the beginning of wisdom, it doesn't mean you start with fear and then you get beyond fear, but rather fear is the beginning, meaning the foundation of wisdom. And he says what the alphabet is to reading, what notes are to music, numerals to mathematics, the fear of the Lord is, to, is the attaining the revealed knowledge of this book. Think of like uh, the Lord is my shepherd. What? Whom shall I fear? If I have the Lord... I don't have to fear anything else. You could say it another way. 
if I have the Lord, I will fear and respect him and follow his guidance. But wait a minute. Verse three. To receive instruction in wise dealing in righteousness, justice, and equity. Those are big words. When I come to the word righteous or justice or equity, I, I sort of feel like I'm lacking. Do you? I really hope you're nodding your heads at home and here. Am I seeing any nods? Like, do you read those words and go, I've got that? No. So then you get into verse seven and you realize to fear the Lord is terrifying because God wants righteousness, justice, and equity. And so I think what happens unwittingly is we begin to ignore things that, that righteousness, justice, and equity would point to. And we create this sort of dreamland of life we live in. And every now and then we're awakened from our daydream. Every now and then a video shows up. A video of a George Floyd whose life is taken from him. And we finally wake up for a moment. But we all really, if we're honest, in our heart of heart, in our fallen hearts, are often ready to get back to normal, whatever that looks like. Listen to what J.I. Packer says in the same chapter. Most of us live in a dream world with our heads in the clouds and our feet off the ground. We never see the world and our lives in it as they really are. This deep-seated, sin-bred unrealism is one reason why there is so little wisdom among us. Even the soundest and most orthodox, it takes more than sound doctrine to cure us of unrealism. So here's our dilemma. God, to fear the Lord's the beginning of wisdom, and yet we know there's unequity, injustice, unrighteousness. I'd already said wisdom is not knowing why, but it's knowing how things work, right? That was one of the definitions. How does this world work? But now I want you to know it's who. Who is wisdom? Shane and I didn't plan this, but uh, Isaiah 11, 1 to 3, it's in my notes and they're printed off. I didn't, I didn't just scribble this after Shane's prayer. So I was really thankful and I always am when the spirit moves in the same direction. Listen to these verses. Starting in verse one. The promise of someone in the Old Testament who knows the Proverbs and reads Isaiah, they're gonna see this promise. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, and the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Wisdom comes in the person of Jesus. He is wisdom. He created, well, look at this next week. He created all things and by him, all things are made. And so in the person of Jesus, you have in a way the personification of wisdom in a person. Later in Isaiah, we are told in 53, he was pierced for our transgressions and by his wounds, we are healed. What does that gospel message mean? That now I can fear the Lord in Christ and long for righteousness and justice and equity because Jesus has removed my sin. That's what redemption does. 
We have been adopted. We have been engrafted. We have the atonement. It is the Christian who can come to Proverbs with confidence and say, I can do this. I can seek wisdom. I can have moments of uncertainty. I can pray and not know exactly how the Lord's going to change me. I can do these things. In Colossians, Paul says this. Paul's writing to them. I, I think at this point, I don't believe he had even met them. He says, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Now, I want you to th- stop for a minute. These people have been justified by grace through faith. Why would Paul tell them that we're praying that you would grow in knowledge of God's will? Because we are going to constantly, for the rest of our lives, need to grow in what it means to be wise in real time. That's what we're doing. So this last point I'm making, and we're getting close to our end, is this. We're trying to talk through what does it look like? What would be the process And uh, I'm going to use an example from writing. I pretend to be a writer, and by that I mean I read a lot of books on it, and then I don't do it. It's embarrassing. But I love the idea of process. We'll talk about that another time. There's a very famous piece of advice that has been, it's passed through all the great fiction writers of the 19th and 20th centuries, and it's this, kill your darlings. Have you all heard that? Raise your hand if you've heard that. Raise your hand if you've heard that, not because I tell it to you. Um, What does it mean? A writer is writing a story, especially fiction, and they'll write a character, and they'll fall in love with that character. They love that character. But to make the story work, guess what has to happen sometimes? Either you shouldn't even introduce that character, they don't fit, or no, it's a great character, but they have to die. Right? You can't, like Braveheart would not have worked if William Wallace had gotten up and succeeded. Like we would have liked the movie more and not have cried, but he needed to die. If you haven't seen it, he dies. So often in life, what we're doing like a writer is we're protecting these places of our life that don't fit in the story. And Paul, when he's writing the letter to the Colossians, the last thing he says in verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. In other words, here's your story. Everything you do is moving towards your inheritance. It's yours. What little things are you clinging to? What darlings are we holding on to? That Jesus is like, that is why you don't love your neighbor. That is why you can't engage a conversation on racism. What is your darling? God the Father killed his darling for you and for me. That we are now free to engage all the areas of our life. And last week I said this, and this is what I'll say. I'm going to say this this morning. Last week we're talking about supernatural and it was so big and it was so lofty. I said, just think about the area where you're afraid. And that is where you can begin to pray for the vision of the supernatural, much like Elisha's servant. He was afraid and that's where Elisha showed him the host of heaven. I would ask you if you remember that from last week, but I'm deathly afraid that half of you didn't hear it. So go back and listen. 
That's my own sin. This week I'm going to say, I can't, I don't know how to just be wise everywhere. Okay, what's in front of you? And as Shane prayed, there is a cultural moment in front of us. Our congregation is 99% white, and we have a situation where it's time for us to engage that process personally if we haven't. And if we have engaged the process of examining racism and our own struggles and our own misunderstandings of it, maybe you're way down the road, maybe you're just starting, but we all can take steps. This week we watched <clears throat> the movie Just Mercy. I know a lot of you have read it, a lot of you have seen it, a lot of you have read it, and you've seen it. Um, but we hadn't. And so one of our steps is just to say, let's watch this uncomfortable movie about race. In that movie, Brian, it's a true story, Brian Stevens, Stevenson comes out of Harvard. He's an African-American. He had been raised in an impoverished community, but gets to Harvard and gets his law degree and comes to Alabama with the goal to help people on death row. And he meets and starts to work with um, Walter McMillan, who's also named Johnny D, played by Jamie Foxx, who's on death row for a crime he didn't commit. And in that movie, uh, you see Brian Stevenson come in and try to help Johnny D. The story is, I'm running out of time, so bear with me. There was a murder in, of a white woman in the community, and for a full year, there was no charges, there was no nothing. So... A year later, they arrest Johnny D, which is like the opening scene, Jamie Foxx's character, and he gets sentenced to death row because of one person's testimony. It was a white man named um, Ralph Myers who was a criminal, and that was the only eyewitness they had who comes out a year later with this information. Well, through the course of the movie, you find he was coerced by the sheriff Thomas Tate, and the prosecutor, Tommy Chapman, is now a new prosecutor, was not there then, says, we're not going to take up this case. We're letting it go. And so the movie follows Brian Stevenson as he gets involved in the community, as he digs, as he's harassed, until he finally gets the case to be dismissed and Johnny D's, um, Johnny D's set free. But what I was amazed by through this movie was this interplay between Brian Stevenson, who's kind of a Christ figure. He's come from outside the community in, gets dirty, and sets someone free. But he, there's a scene where he's at the doorstep of the prosecutor, Tommy Chapman. And Tommy Chapman, who you would think doesn't have any dog in the fight, like he wasn't there, why not just let, he feels so much responsibility, he says, to keep this community safe. And they feel safe with Johnny D behind bars, even though he now can admit that's not the right guy. And one of the best lines, I'm going to ruin it because I didn't write it down, but one of the best lines is Johnny D said, who are you keeping safe? There's a whole community out here that feels very unsafe. And I felt so convicted because I'm white and I relate with Tommy Chapman. And there's a whole community that doesn't all feel the same way I do. And wisdom says it is time for us to go to Jesus who's constantly saying the widow and the orphan and the poor and those that are treated improperly in your community. It's time for us to say this. Jesus, will you show me the darlings in my life that keep me 
from wanting wisdom to roll and justice and mercy. I don't know what to do, guys. I can't sit here and give you a prescription of what we're going to do. But why don't we learn together? Let's repent and confess together. And those of you in our congregation, and I know there are many of you who are already ahead of me on this, lead the way. And not just in this one arena, in any arena of your life where you are not walking with the truth of Jesus and it's not shaping you, repent and know that you're already in Christ. If you're a believer, he loves you. And now you are free to say, Lord, I need to repent that I'm protecting my wealth or I'm protecting my reputation or I'm protecting my comfort. Whatever your darling is, let us kill them. We'll be free. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I don't know all of the fruit of what I'm saying. I don't know where it would lead. And you've taught us in Proverbs, that is okay. We don't wait for the end. We don't wait for all the bullet points. We don't wait for the history books. We simply act in faith. The path we're on right now is a path where we need clear vision from you to love our neighbors well. Lord, that applies to this pandemic, to how we interact with matters of viruses and, and, and all those aspects, but Lord, especially in the matters of race, a matter that is so near and dear to your heart. When we read the Bible with open eyes, it's everywhere. Lord, teach us to be people who long for your righteousness and your justice to roll. Lord, we ask this in your name. Amen. Amen.